Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us to give a Pod Power shout out to Book Women, a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Metis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at at bookwomenpodcast.ca. You didn't even miss us. It's true. <laughs> uh, last week's episode was the episode that was in the can. This week's episode, we're back to recording the week of, so... There we go. You hardly missed a thing. Yeah, we, we technically had a week off from reading the book and had to do a little catch-up this week because, you know, a week not reading a chapter, you totally lose what's going on. Shh, you're giving away all the pod secrets. That's not the case. Um, <laughs> not at all. And uh, definitely, there, the, the book was on our mind, even as we were away. That's kind of how books work, really. Yeah, Especially when you're, when you're not done them. Sometimes you, you think back on them, you try to come up with theories about things that might happen or that might go on. I had a little extra time to digest, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with that said, I guess we'll just dive into a brief recap of... Chapter 21, in which our heroes are whisked away to another place, a strange place, right underneath the noses of the, the evil powers that be. <laughs> uh, Nick has a little time to think about things, possibly has some flawed logic leading him to make a fateful choice that he is then unable to act on. Thank goodness. Our heroes then return to our world, escape from a library in time for it to collapse, and decide that they have one day left. To make it where they need to go. And that leads us into chapter 22 of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. Well, they didn't decide they had a day left. They know they have a day left. It's not... Well, they, it's not like they made an arbitrary decision about when the end of the world is coming. They know they have a day left until that gate opens. Yes. They don't know if they have a day left until the world ends. That's also true. Because uh, our our theory presupposes that they're actually looking at the wrong problem. Well, and they might be. Anyway, so chapter 22 is a weird mix of Grand Theft Auto meets the Twilight Zone. It's good times. Uh, sure. It actually, it, it's a weird kind of smash cut it from is. the end of last chapter to the beginning of this one. It, it literally starts with Nick waking up on a plane that's under attack. So it's also very in media res. We did not see them chartering this flight or getting on this plane. We're just suddenly on the plane. Nick is waking up and there be monsters. We've skipped over the boring uneventful parts, <laughs> apparently, which means that they had some smooth sailing for a little while, right? They managed to make it to an airport and onto a plane without getting caught. Presumably. That's pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're definitely flying on a nicer plane than Hamid's from a few chapters back. <laughs> Bigger, certainly. It is still a cargo plane. This time it has a few other passengers aboard. 
they're largely inconsequential except as screaming extras. Uh, yes. As the uh, glowy blob monsters <laughs> right? that are like, chasing the plane continue to attack. I pictured glowing, badly drawn jellyfish. I know that's not quite how she described them, but in my head, that's sort of what happened. Like, someone was crossing a jellyfish with an amoeba and screwed it up, and it's nighttime, so they're glowing white. That's what I pictured. If uh, if I was to venture a Lovecraft parallel, my brain went to flying polyps, but they're invisible, technically, so, so probably not that. Not that. Uh, or if they were visible, that's what you think they would look like? Is that what maybe, you're saying? yeah, because I, I think that the name is very descriptive of what a flying polyp probably looks like gross yeah the glowy monsters are buffeting the plane they're trying to burn holes in the fuselage and in the glass johnny at one point likens them to xenomorphs from the alien franchise right Uh, except white and glowing and tentacled yeah i think there's kind of like a face hugger sort of look to one of them like with a proboscis trying to like Burn a hole through one of the windows. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, they initially work together to stop the plane from decompressing because, again, they're in mid-flight. Only for one of the flying blobs to then rip the tail off, which kind of defeats their their ultimate effort. Yes, but they were much closer to the ground when that happened. Because, bless this pilot, he is trying to land. Very much so. Uh, The plane does descend. And Nick and Johnny have their usual optimist-pessimist banter about whether or not the plane is landing or crashing. In the end, kind of both. pick the weirdest and worst times to have weird, useless arguments. Yeah. They're both technically correct, as is often the case. (laughs) Yes. Because the plane does sort of crash land. Yep. But uh, a very controlled crash land. Now, Nick gets banged up in the the landing. Uh, He hits his head and his leg starts to throb something fierce. And he actually worries a bit back to the bite from last chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, Because he's like, oh, God, I was probably pumped full of alien poison. Like, yeah, we're all going to die. It's it's festering in my leg uh, and it's going to fall off. To be fair, he was only bitten a short while ago based on the timeline. Yes, fair enough. Like earlier this evening. Yeah. Right? So, so it's wound is still fresh. Indeed. Johnny insists immediately that they need to jump out of the plane. Uh, and it's it's not an insignificant jump based on the way the plane has landed. And Nick's like, can't we just go out the door? And she's like, nah, look. And sure enough, there are police and security vehicles on well, their way to the plane. Well, A, a plane just, just crash landed somewhere. So yeah. clearly emergency vehicles are about. Now, Johnny makes a very self-centered comment here where she suggests that surprise. that they were ratted out or found out somehow and that the security and police are on their way to capture them. I actually think you're more likely correct that a plane has just crashed with a thrashing blob monster underneath it, and police and security are interested in that. Right? Which is why they're initially able to make a a break for it, because nobody's really paying attention to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually managed to avoid, for the most part, the spotlights and attention. Yeah, I mean, they are spotted running from the wreck, and I I get it. Security and police are going to be like, hey, you, stop. Come back here. We have questions. But they they are in panic mode. They're very close to the end of their journey, and they've already had several run-ins with authorities. So I can certainly understand why they, in their minds, in this moment, would frame it as, oh, God, they're looking for us specifically. Yes. To be fair, all of the other times they have been looked for specifically. Yeah. So I don't blame them. Uh, for those unfamiliar with Johnny's old-timey slang here, uh, <laughs> we've been rumbled roughly translates to we've been caught doing something we shouldn't be doing. 
is being caught doing something illegal. Yeah. Arguably. Which, spoiler alert, we're going to do later this chapter. Yeah. They make it to the fence. They scrabble over. Nick manages to cut himself up and rip up his clothes on the top. Because he gets stuck at the top of a chain thing fence, well, poor guy. Well, running from the police who yeah. are like, hey, you come back here. He does glance back at one point as well to notice, and I had mentioned the plane had landed on one of the blob monsters. Yes. There is a thrashing blob monster underneath that plane, and there are looky-loos and authorities going, that's a monster underneath that plane. So this is my <laughs> this is my big question of this section, possibly of the entire chapter. What happens now? Is the world going to freak out? Has this been broadcast live? They're not going to be able to cover up a giant thrashing blob monster that's been seen on live television. Well, it certainly hasn't been seen on live television. They can't silence all of those police officers, emergency crews, pilot passengers. You assume people have been silenced cetera, up until this point. That's how that's how the cover-up conspiracy works, right? Everybody gets paid off or silenced or mind-waved or whatever. You're, you're presuming that there's someone behind a cover-up conspiracy. Yes, I am. I mean, that would technically be the Serati Society. And from what we've seen so far, they're pretty crap at their job. So Yeah. So what happens now? Worldwide panic? Well, we... Now, okay. The fall of religion as we know it? There's a couple things that we need to touch on here. First of all, Nick certainly believes that this means the proverbial veil is lifted. And he can picture the headline news from the next day. Monsters are real. The world is ending. Everyone panic. Correct. We don't know how bad things are, though, because... That's true. We only have reports secondhand from Johnny that she's looked into, but they've been largely focused only on their own little world through this entire journey. And other than Johnny mentioning, oh, things are worse than I thought, and rattling off a couple natural disasters that have happened recently, we don't know if other people have seen monsters. I mean, they've been attacked by zombies and monsters well, as far back as while they were in St. Albert. I was going to say, uh, Nick's family knows. Yeah. But we don't know where they are. No. The point I'm trying to make is there may have been other monster attacks. This might not be a unique occurrence. It might not be the first occurrence. Wouldn't that be headline news though? But they haven't really been paying attention to news that hasn't been about them. Fair point. Because our two teenage heroes are very focused on themselves because they are teenagers who are very self-centered. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Having escaped from the airport, they do manage to elude the police that were initially after them, probably because the police weren't, I mean, they, they gave a half-hearted chase. They weren't going to go over the chain link fence, and they were clearly more concerned about the blob monster. The giant glowing blob monster? Yeah. So our, our two heroes do the jerkiest of jerk things. They run around to the front of the airport and steal someone's cab. Yeah. <laughs> they dive into a cab in front of a couple tourists. They're like, get us out of here. Just throw <laughs> money at the driver. What? Did, did just... Jerks. They're just being jerks. I, I realize they're doing it with good cause, right? But it, still, yeah. <laughs> the optics of it, like, you're being jerks. You stole someone's cab. The cab driver gets ordered to take them to Erbil, and that is where they go. And by early the next day, they are in downtown, and they are doing some shopping, both to replace their torn and bloodied clothing, mm -hmm. and to gather up some supplies for the final push to Nineveh, so yes. that they don't have to stop anywhere else. They've got all of the things that Johnny thinks that they're going to need. Water, Just snacks, first aid, fresh clothes. Some shovels, some salt. Yeah. Practical occulting gear. <laughs> um, Johnny is worried they're burning too much of their precious dwindling time, but they do need to stock up, and they do need to eat, which they also do. Yes. Uh, taking a, a break for a quick bite to eat. So Nick describes this 
very busy, bustling marketplace.、Mm-hmm. And the picture I got in my mind was something akin to the Grand Bazaar that we visited our one time in Turkey. That's what I pictured: just people and stalls and stuff and smells and sounds just everywhere, like、yeah. almost an overload of your senses. Speaking of smells. Uh, while they're grabbing that bite to eat, Nick notices、uh, a lady with some stuff, <laughs> and Johnny informs him that she actually has frankincense. Yeah, she's a perfume vendor. Yeah, buys him a bag of it so that he can see what it's like, and he takes a whiff, and it's actually very pleasant. He thinks. Well, because frankincense is quite lovely, actually. Yeah, and、uh, strong, but but he's also <laughs> he's also a little disappointed in how mundane it is because <laughs> having gone to Catholic school, and I'll get into that first in just a second. He largely equates it with like the three wise men and the birth of Christ,、mm-hmm. and so he、Old、frankincense and myrrh. He in his mind, it's this precious thing, and in fact, it's actually quite mundane. Ah, <laughs>、uh, if I remember correctly, frankincense was brought because of its scent, not because of its value. Myrrh was brought because of its value, and presumably gold.、Oh, gold, obviously, but. Yeah, frankincense was brought because it was like the best of things that smell. There you go. I think I might be very, very wrong, and I'm sorry if I am. And if there's one thing babies appreciate, it's <laughs> things that smell really it's good. Things that smell really good. It's true. Now it's interesting that Nick mentions that he went to Catholic school. Fun fact: I went to Catholic school where I grew up, which was Saint Albert, the <laughs> very place that Nick grew up. It's true. And what you might not know about Saint Albert, dear listener, is that the Catholic school system in Saint Albert is the public school system. It is the one jurisdiction in Alberta where the Catholic school is the public school, where it's usually the other way around. You have to opt in to Catholic education, and it's its own separate thing. In Saint Albert, no, it is the public system. Yes, and so it makes sense then that he would have gone to a Catholic school and not a what what in Saint Albert is called the Protestant school system. Yeah, which everyone else would call your normal public school yep, system. Your normal. Secular school, but it jumped out at me because that is attention to detail. Because Premier Mohammed, who I'm now beginning to suspect may have grown up in Saint Albert, possibly,、uh, is clearly aware that、uh, Saint Albert's Catholic school system is likely where Nick, from a lower income family, would have gone. Makes sense. Yeah, jumped out at me. Now the bag of frankincense reminds Nick of Johnny's grandmother's funeral, which is where he learned for the first time that she was named for her grandmother. Joanna, where the nickname Johnny originally came from, one of her dad's favorite songs, and、uh, apparently her grandma really hated the nickname. Yeah, and a lot of things apparently about Johnny. She sounded like just a cranky old lady, a very conservative sort of lady. Now I realize, too, and Johnny is definitely a very progressive.、Mm-hmm. Well, exactly.、Person. We're looking at this through. This is first of all Nick's memory of information he got through Johnny. Yeah, so I、right? mean, it's, so it's a, filtered through her.、Perception. Exactly. Let's let's appreciate that there are some filters on this, but through all of these filters, what we get is her grandma was just a hateful, cranky old lady. That's certainly the impression Johnny had of her. I appreciated very much that this is coming from Nick's sense memory, right? Like it's the smell of the frankincense reminds him of the funeral. Reminds him of the funeral, and it's a really nice way.、Uh, Scott called it a breather chapter. <laughs> Before we get into the you know the action packed ones, but it's a really nice way to bring a little more character to our characters, like it it's a justified flashback, and I just I really like how she did it. I like how 
I like how this chapter is structured. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned the sense memory as well, because your sense of smell is actually apparently uh, one of the best triggers of memory. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Smell something that just takes you back, right? It was after this funeral as well, uh, in the snow outside, that Nick realized for the first time that he was falling in love with Johnny. So that kind of taints the memory at the end for him, because it's kind of bittersweet now, now that he has a very different impression of his friend. Now, earlier, Nick had asked her how they were going to get to Nineveh, and she said, you're not going to like it. And sure enough, she was correct. He is not (laughs) going to like it, because they proceed to steal a car. Yeah, this is the Grand Theft Auto portion of our chapter. (laughs) Yeah. Nick's usual paranoia ratchets up. He's convinced they're going to get caught, but it turns out stealing a car is not actually all that difficult. Or all that obvious. No, not if you're careful. Nope. He's doubly worried because they immediately hit essentially rush hour traffic. Yeah. And they're stuck in a traffic jam. And Johnny's just like, be cool, dude. He's trying so hard, but he is such a straight-laced kid that this is nigh impossible for him. Yeah. But they are finally on the road to Nineveh. Bless him. He's trying. And that is the end of chapter 22. Next up, chapter 23. Yeah. Yeah. Getting that much closer to our big climax. Um, So something I realized about this chapter, and I'm really surprised it didn't dawn on me earlier, is that one of the underlying, uh, I don't want to call it a subplot, but maybe it is, uh, is that this is a love story in reverse. It is a falling out of love story. Yes. (laughs) And I find that kind of refreshing. Most of the time when you read a, a love story, any story involving love, it's a falling in love story. Right? It's finding each other or finding each other and losing each other and finding each other again, that kind of thing. I don't know if this, I don't know where this is going to end, but this is a falling out of love story and it's fascinating. We just had this moment where he realized he was in love with her. Way earlier on the book, we realized that he is falling out of love with her. It's a love story in reverse. And I quite like it. I think, I think it's being very cleverly done. I like how she's written it. I think that part of the reason why it's a falling out of love story is because their relationship is not a healthy one and hasn't been a super healthy one for a long time, apparently. I think I think at one point it was a healthy one. Possibly. I think it had to have been. It can't have been unhealthy this whole time. But it it seems to me that it's, it's not the healthiest relationship. Mm-hmm. I think the closer we are getting to this Armageddon point the less healthy their relationship. I mean, last chapter, being... Nick made the decision to kill her. Uh, but was that a conscious decision? Or was he being overtaken by something? Is this is this weird, dark infection getting to him? I mean, he's exhausted, strung out, and angry at her. It could just be that he wants this to end. Maybe. And Maybe. he's not incorrect blaming her for all of his problems. Because she seems kind of responsible for She does seem at the root of a lot of things. Indeed. So I'm not justifying his decision for murder, by the way. It is not the correct decision under any circumstance. No, I agree with you there. I don't think he was in his right mind when he approached her with evil intent. Oh, no. I don't know that he's been in his right mind for a while. I don't know that either of them are in their right mind. Again, they're sleep deprived, hungry, on the run, super stressed out. Yeah. I know it does not make for <laughs> it does not make for healthy humans or or rational decisions. Agreed. 
Yeah. If they had the time to stop and think, they would be making probably better decisions. And for that matter, Johnny might have figured out the actual problem. Ah, but the plot is not affording them time to stop and think. No, because they're on a very strict time budget. Yes, indeed. End of the world. Oh. What are the odds that the whole gate thing was a ploy? (laughs) A ploy ploy for what? What if the powers that be have been distracting Johnny on purpose with this gate opening? Distracting her from... From what? From the real problem. Which is? Well, obviously that her box broke open reality. We've been hypothesizing that the impossible box broke a hole in the wall. And they're struggling to go and close the window that they think is about to open. They've completely ignored the fact there's a big hole in the wall. Because they're, they're busy trying to stop the window. What I'm now suggesting is, what if there's an ancient one standing outside the window waving... (laughs) <laughs> emphatically and smiling hey, at hey, them, slowly here. opening the window to get their attention while everybody's sneaking in through the crack. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying now. Uh, we, we've been suggesting that maybe the gate <laughs> the gate is something that is a problem, but they haven't realized that it's the symptom of the larger problem. What I'm suggesting is what if it's an, what if it's an actual deliberate distraction? I'm sorry. I just got the visual image of like this dark figure standing in a window waving its arms. I'm a distraction. I'm a distraction. All, t- all tentacles and teeth. <laughs> Look at me over here. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, every, well, well, everyone's sneaking into the party through the crack. Uh, I'm too tired for this. <laughs> yeah, we're actually, uh, full disclosure, recording much later than we normally do. Yes. Uh, we usually record, uh, as of late, we've been able to uh, record on lunch breaks. Yeah, in the uh, afternoon. In the afternoon, uh, but that could not happen this week because the kids are home all week long, so we actually had to bump it to an evening record, something we haven't done in a long time, which is why Nita is and it's been, feeling the tired. It's been a it's been a long day. Yeah. So, so on perhaps, that note- Perhaps the silly is upon us now. <laughs> yeah, on that note, we will wrap it up here. Um, it- was uh, It was, as Nita mentioned, kind of a breather chapter. Some stuff to digest and discuss. No, it was but, a uh, good chapter, though. But uh, like, the I action, enjoyed reading this one. Yeah, the action was kind of up front, and likely there will be some more as we move into chapter 23, which you're going to want to read up on in time for next week. Yes. In the meantime, Johnny invented an impossible box that could have solved all of the world's energy problems. But the fact is, here in the real world, we still have to buy our power from someone. <laughs> because it is not an unlimited resource. And uh, if you're living in Alberta, you have the option of buying your power from the people you want to. And uh, one local option is a supporter of the Alberta Podcast Network. Anita would like to tell you all about them. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Park Power. Woo! We've talked about Park Power lots. Yeah. Yeah. They've been a longtime supporter of the network. Absolutely. We're happy to have them aboard, along with all of the other sponsors. You can learn about all of them right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, check out the many podcasts that are members of the network. 
a veritable plethora of podcasts. Uh, you can find them likely on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, give us a little rating and review. We'd like that. It'd, it'd be nice. Yeah. We'd also love to uh, hear from you via social media. Absolutely. We are on the Twitters, the Facebookses, the Instagramses, and the Goodreadses. You can also find us via emails. <laughs> yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. The adventure continues. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.